anytime I step on a line, it's, it's this huge moment of gratitude of this is another opportunity to like challenge myself, to push myself, to have the privilege to run with these women. So I think, uh, I think when I can frame it that way and have that sort of perspective, it just adds so much more fun and joy and excitement rather than any anxiety or outcome or stress that, you know, is often easy to get caught up in results. That's Rachel Schneider. And this is episode 66 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Welcome back or welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and I've got another awesome guest for you this week. I recently spoke with Rachel Schneider, who a few weeks ago ran 15.06 for 5,000 meters to win the USATF Distance Classic. It was a nine-second personal best for Rachel, and at the time, it was the fastest 5,000 meters run in the world this year. This was a fun conversation, and amazingly, it's the first time that Rachel has ever been a guest on a podcast. We got into her progression as an athlete from a soccer player turned runner in high school to multi-time All-American at Georgetown, and now Under Armour sponsored professional training in Flagstaff, Arizona. We talked about her current setup in Flag and the incredible community she has around her in the mountains. We talked training and how that's evolved over the past few years, the importance of gratitude and balance in her life, who she looks up to, how she's dealt with challenging situations throughout her career, and a lot more. All right, let's dig right in with Rachel Schneider. Rachel Snyder, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a few days before this episode goes out, but today is Global Running Day, otherwise known as Wednesday in most of our worlds. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you celebrated this lovely holiday and what a typical Wednesday looks like for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Happy Global Running Day. Um, This morning I woke up and uh, took my dogs out for a nice 10-mile run on a dirt road in Flagstaff. So it's a good way to start the day. That's uh, that's not so bad. Let's take a look at your season. I know you have the mini 10K coming up this weekend in New York. A few weeks ago at the USATF Distance Classic, you won the 5,000. You're in a PR 1506. Uh, I believe that was nine seconds better than you'd ever gone before. You hit the Olympic standard. Where are you at right now just in terms of your season and what are you focusing on? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a different type of year with USA's being end of July instead of end of June and hopefully keeping the season rolling into October. So um, still feel like it's early on in the season and um, still doing a lot of strength training at this point while also developing the speed, but really trying to hit some intentional training blocks this year and just stay up at altitude get good long weeks of mileage and workouts in and, and only race when it makes a lot of sense to you and racing with purpose. So, um, not racing quite as much as I'm used to this season, but excited to, uh, mix it up in the mini 10 K this weekend at the USATF, uh, 10 K road champs before hitting the track again. Where do you see yourself as strongest? I mean, you're, I would say you're best known as a miler, just given your history, you had a big breakthrough in the 5,000, not too long ago. Are you getting on the roads with the 10 K? How are you thinking about yourself as an athlete right now? Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of uh, changed a bit over the last two years. I think I definitely put myself in the 1500 meter miler box mindset for a long, long time and uh, really kind of refused to see myself as anything but a 1500 mile specialist. 
Uh, but now, you know, I've been having so much fun with the 5k and it's been, it's, yeah, it's been shockingly something I'm enjoying and, um, having some success at. So I'm not quite sure, uh, what, what event will be the strongest one, but it's something, you know, kind of figuring that out, especially this year heading into 2020. When did that flip for you when you started to enjoy the longer stuff a little bit more? Yeah, you know, probably last year. Um, I think for a long time, my mechanics and form had to improve before uh, I could enjoy the longer events just because I uh, have a history of heel striking and overstriding, which, you know, you can't sustain for long distances. The, The legs and the quads just go out really quick when you're heel striking like that. So after doing a bunch of work on mechanics and form, and then also doing a bunch of work on strength and developing my threshold, um, I was kind of shocked to find uh, a new love for the strength side of things and longer distances. So probably really took a turning point last year. What were some of the things that you were doing in your training to improve your form and work on your mechanics? A bunch of drills, a lot, a lot of drills, um, twice a week, a group the group and I meet for about an hour, hour and a half session that just solely focuses on mechanics and mobility and um, trying to, especially on tired legs, it's good to make sure that the form staying, form staying together, um, especially towards the end of a race. So it's something that we're really intentional about a couple times a week and then um, trying to be mindful of that even during workouts and during longer runs too when the body starts fatiguing. Have you had injury issues in the past that forced you to double down on doing a lot more of that type of work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my first couple of years of college, I had either a metatarsal stress fracture or a cuboid stress fracture, just a lot of lower limb mm-hmm. issues. And that was definitely a direct result of kind of what was going on mechanically and, uh, the type of shoes I was in and just not really having an awareness of how, ground contact can affect, uh, your injury risk. So I'd often overdo it and end up with a stress fracture. And, um, it was really frustrating. And then, you know, once I started paying more attention to how form and mechanics can really play a big role in injury prevention and, um, uh, yeah, got to have like a nice four year period of almost no injury. So that was amazing. And on the strength side of things, did your strength training program evolve or was that something you just weren't focusing on in the past? I'd love to learn a little bit more about that aspect of it. Yeah. You know, I think that goes back to high school a bit. Um, I didn't really have like an understanding of weekly mileage or tempo runs or threshold runs or different types of workouts. So when I got to college, I was, I was pretty underdeveloped and, uh, <laughs> you could definitely see that in my tempo workouts were, um, it took a long, long time to develop that. So over the years, every year, you know, just gradually, very incrementally been adding weekly mileage and adding strength training. And I think that's really come a long way in the last couple of years, mainly post-collegiately. Have you always responded better to that shorter, faster, more middle distance oriented type of work as far back as high school and now well into your professional career? Yeah, I think it's been more natural for me. Um, I grew up playing a lot of soccer. So, you know, soccer is full of short burst speed. And um, it was always, I think, I think a lot of my speed actually comes from playing those sports where, you know, you have bursts of speed and um, 
Yeah, I think I think the speed side was definitely more natural. I think had to be uh, <laughs> really had to work on the strength side of things the last decade. Going back to you and sort of where you're at right now in terms of your season and just this Olympic cycle in general, I'd love to get your take on the state of women's running right now in the U.S. from 1500 meters, which you have a lot of experience in, all the way up to the 10,000 on the track. Yeah, gosh, this is, we're witnessing a really beautiful time in women's distance running in the U.S. Um, The ways that it's really progressed in the last, oh gosh, since 2008. I think if you look back at the 2008 trials, Jordan Hesse ran the 1500 meter and set, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be off, but I think she set the junior national record running 418 at the Olympic trials. That sounds right. Yeah. and, And if you think about it now, like back in 2016, you had to run 409 just to qualify for the trials. And now, now you just have dozens of women in the U S that are running faster and stronger. And, um, it's really beautiful, you know, it's come a long way and it's definitely a lot more depth and a lot more women pushing each other to a different level. Where do you see yourself fitting into that spectrum? Or is that something you're still going to try to figure out over the next year heading into the Olympic trials? You know, I, I don't, I think I just kind of focus on where I am individually rather than putting myself on the spectrum. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope, I hope I'm helping progress women's distance running in America and helping bring out the best in people on race day and, um, you know, creating more competitive, competitive, more competition in the U S. What does the next year look like for you heading into the Olympic trials? I mean, as you said, this year, you're focusing more sort of on strength stuff. It's going to be a long season with the world championships being later, than usual. I'd, I'd love to just go there a little bit. And if you, you and your coach have thought that far ahead to this point, how this year is going to set you up for next year. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely thinking, thinking forward to 2020 and, um, using 2019 as a really good launching point into next year. And a lot of this year we'll be figuring out again, kind of what, what event is my strongest, whether that's the 15 or the 5k. Um, so this year we're, we're really, um, trying to enhance both the speed and the strength side of my running. So kind of trying to get both of those at a different level, um, going into 2020. So, you know, a lot of this year will look like a lot of what last year looked like just really intentional training, really purposeful racing, um, really practicing mindset in races and different strategies and, you know, how to just handle a bunch of different situations. Because I think at a, championship racing, you got to be ready for anything. What do you see as your best asset as an athlete? Ooh, my best asset as an athlete. In one of those racing situations, championship style or otherwise. Yeah, I think, I think it's always, it's, I'm always growing and developing. Um, I think I've made a lot of progress over the years, both in fitness, but especially in mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that just comes with a greater maturity that has that has to come with experience in and around the races. So I think, um, in some races in the past, you know, I've just dealt with like greater anxiety and focus more on outcome rather than the process. And, uh, now I'm really able to just really focus on the moment I'm in the process I'm in and not get so caught up in the outcome, which is almost kind of shocking as, you know, I'm getting like later in my career, I almost feel like, you know, it should be more like, oh, like I'm 
you know, eager to make these teams and it's like all about making the teams. But to me now it's really kind of flipped. And instead of validating my, the, like validating my success or anything like that, it's, it's more about the process and how I'm handling each situation rather than a certain outcome. So I think, I think that might be my biggest asset right now. Let's dig into that a little bit. I read on Instagram not that long ago that you're big on practicing gratitude and breathing to help center yourself before a race now, and that's worked out well for you. When did you land on that strategy, and what does it look like in practice? Yeah, you know, I'm not not really sure exactly when I landed on that, um, but it's definitely huge in it's huge in my life and huge in practice. You know, I I really believe that almost everything in life is about perspective. And I try not to take a single day or a single run for granted. I mean, like, even if even if we're lucky to live into our 80s, 90s, even into 100 years of age, life is so short. And to have good health, to inhabit a body that's able to run, to have the privilege to pursue this passion and to push myself, and to have these opportunities to race at this level and to train and compete with some of the best in the world are all things I really don't want to ever take for granted. So anytime I step on a line, it's it's this huge moment of gratitude of this is another opportunity to like challenge myself, to push myself, to have the privilege to run with these women. So I think, uh, I think when I can frame it that way and have that sort of perspective, it just adds so much more fun and joy and excitement rather than any anxiety or outcome or stress that, you know, is often easy to get caught up in results. Yeah. And it's amazing how that compounds over time when you do it over and over and over again. And then it starts, you know, spilling into all aspects of your training, but also other parts of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's bounce around a little bit. You're based in Flagstaff, Arizona. There's this awesome t-shirt that I've seen. It says Flagstaff versus the world. And looking at it from the outside, you've got a bunch of individuals there, such as yourself training. There's Ed Cheserek, there's top ultra runners, like there's Rob Carr, there's Jim Walmsley, others. You've got groups like Naz Elite, top college program, Northern Arizona. You got other groups who come in from time to time for altitude stints and just like a really engaged community there in general. What makes Flag such a special place and what's it like being in that kind of environment and part of that community? Oh my gosh, you nailed it. You I mean you you touched the surface <laughs> of it for sure. It is such a special community. I don't think there's any other community in the world that has this type of running environment and and I I think like you mentioned a lot of the elite side of it is really cool like you know what Naz Elite's doing, what some of the top um ultra runners are doing here is is so great and all that people that come here for altitude like I never take that for granted. Just the fact that the best teams and groups in the country and around the world are coming to the place that I get to call home to train is so special. Um, but even beyond that, like you're saying, this community is just so nurturing from all different levels. Like you have team run flag staff that also has a kids group, kids run flag staff. And another aspect of team run flag staff is step into running, which, you know, helps people that have never run before getting back into running and encourages them to like get back into it. You have Hypo2 Sport, which is just amazing with their resources and their time and helping people train here and how to best access what flag stuff is for people who want to train at this level. Um, they're, they're just incredible in so much of, you know, the ways that flag stuff has developed as a training ground. Um, you've got 
you know, people like Erin Strout, who's here reporting and using her platform to support runners and to also, you know, advocate for gender equality. Like that's a really cool aspect of what Flagstaff is. It's it's taking all of these elements at different levels in the community and, you know, making them accessible to everyone. And has that made it a little easier for you in some respects as someone who's not part of a group to still feel part of a big community while you're out doing your own thing and working toward your goals? Yes, so much. I I kind of forget how, you know, I'm not part of a group just because people in groups and other people training independently here are so welcoming and it's so easy to sync up with people and meet up with people and, you know, anything from easy runs to workouts and it it's such a supportive environment. Like just the last couple of weeks, Sarah Hall and I have been meeting up to do some workouts together. And, um, that's been so fun to work with her and, you know, occasionally get to work out with Steph Bruce and the NAS elite crew. So it's definitely do not feel alone here. Yeah. That's amazing. You don't get that anywhere else really, or everywhere for sure. Yeah. Um, let's dig into your situation in Flagstaff. What brought you there from DC where you went to school at Georgetown? Yeah. So I moved out here full time in the fall of 2016, but that was after spending the fall of 2015 here and doing a summer stint here in 2013. So before moving out full time, I definitely had a good sense of Flagstaff and the community here. And oh my gosh, was so drawn to it. It was, uh, if I, if I could have, I would have moved here a lot earlier, but I ended up staying at Georgetown to complete a two-year graduate program, which I finished finished in the spring of 2015. And uh, Mike Smith was is my coach, and he's living in D.C. coaching at Georgetown. So um, I spent the fall of 2015 in Flagstaff, but went back in the spring of 2016 just so he could oversee my workouts and some of my training going into the trials. But, you know, like we were just talking about with uh, how supportive and collaborative the community, the running community and Flagstaff is, I felt really alone in D.C. and Mm -hmm. didn't have training partners, didn't have that community aspect or a sense of um, doing it with other people or a sense of belonging there. And I think I was just, you know, missing my friends and missing my old teammates and being a part of something bigger. So I, uh, I was actually kind of after the 2016 trials at this point of like, oh man, like, you know, is this still the best environment for me? Like, I remember my sister saying, actually, she's like, Rach, like, you're so much happier when you're in Flagstaff. Like, can't you just do long distance communication with Mike and have him coach you from DC and, you know, you stay in Flagstaff full time. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that. But I think you're like, my coach probably oversees some of my training So I was like kind of going back and forth. Like the plan was originally to go back to Flagstaff for the fall of 2016 and then go back to DC in the spring and just kind of keep splitting the year. But kind of serendipitously, the NAU position opened up and Mike took that job um, going into the fall of 2016. So as soon as he said that he was moving to Flagstaff, I was like, oh, no brainer. I'm in. (laughs) Done deal. I'm moving there full time. So I uh, feel really grateful to get to live here full time and call this home. After you finished up at Georgetown, I'd read that you were working like three part-time jobs while trying to make it as a professional athlete. What kept you in the sport during that time? Uh, love for running. It was, 
I'm actually really grateful for the way that all played out. Um, you know, I think my senior year, uh, the spring of 2013 at Georgetown, I redshirted and I ran a 4.10, meter, which uh, would have been the second fastest time in the NCAA that year. And like going into my fifth year, I was like, oh man, like, I like so excited. I want to, you know, contend for the national championship title and hopefully get sponsored and go pro and, uh, didn't quite play out that way. (laughs) Um, yeah, my fifth year ended up being a little rough performance wise, really great for, uh, learning lessons and growth. But, um, I think I finished, uh, my fifth year getting ninth, uh, at NCAAs in the 1500 and only running a 416 that year. So, Needless to say, no one was looking at me as far as sponsorship goes and kind of kind of had a little bit of a burnout too. Like I needed to just take a little step back from running after that fifth year. Didn't even run at USA's. Think I'd run at USA's the year before, but was just was just tired, you know? Like I'd poured so much into my college career. I had really just trained a little like a little overtrained and um wasn't quite understanding of how recovery and rest was such a vital part of running at that level. So kind of just like had to take a step back, reevaluate. And uh, yeah, I went home, went up to Maine for the summer, spent a lot of time with family and friends, had no training regimen. And uh, I knew I was going to go back to DC because I had one more year of grad school left. And you know, Mike and I had talked and he was like, if you want me to keep coaching you, like, I totally believe that you can run at this level. Like, I know if you want to do this, like good things are ahead. So, um, after taking the summer off and just not having a training plan, I totally like sense, I was like, I'm so not done. Like I want to, I want to keep competing and running and seeing where it takes me. So, um, yeah, so I moved back to DC, Mike kept coaching me and, uh, I had to support myself financially. So especially, you know, paying off the last year of grad school. So I was, um, working at a local running store, tutoring, babysitting, dog sitting, um, piecing it all all together together and like barely making it by, um, which was great. You know, it was such a grind and, uh, like I, it was like such this pure aspect of like, I was just running totally for me, like no sponsorship, no, like, no expectation, no pressure. It's just totally like, this is mine. I'm doing this. Like, I don't need, like, I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Like this is, it's just so fun. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was kind of a gritty time of working a couple part-time jobs, barely scraping by doing grad school and, um, yeah, piecing it all together. Was there a moment during that period that encouraged you to stick with it or was like a spark that said, all right, if I just see this through, I know that I can continue to make breakthroughs and race at that level that my coach told me I could race at. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if there was really a breakthrough moment more. So it's just kind of incrementally like getting better and kind of getting that hunger. Um, us indoors that year, I think I finished third in the mile and, uh, there's this kind of funny photo of, you know, Shannon Roberry, Jordan Hesse and I all neck and neck and they're like wearing their pretty intense Nike Oregon project uniforms. And and I have like a baggy tank top on and <laughs> it just looked like totally out of place. But, um, but I think I finished third there. And then, uh, at the U S outdoor championships, I finished 
fifth and was 0.01 seconds from making the world team that year. So I, th- I think I think probably that U.S. Outdoor Championships, where it's you know a hundredth or a thousandth of a second from um, getting that world spot, was kind of a like whoa, like you know I can compete at this level. And um, it was also around the same time that Under Armour sponsored me, which was also a really cool feeling to get that support and have that belief of the company behind you. So that was my next question is when did you sign with Under Armour? Uh, And when you did, what did that do for you? What kind of doors did it open? What did it do for your sort of day to day as an athlete and being able to continue with the sport for a while? Yeah, God, the support from Under Armour is, uh, it's it's tough to put into words because, you know, they made it so I didn't have to work three part-time jobs. Like all of a sudden I'm able to pour way more energy into training and recovering. And, um, that was, that was huge for me and just living more of a lifestyle that's conducive to traveling for races and, you know, not having to take time off for work. So yeah, when they, when they supported me, that was a kind of a shift in mentality and lifestyle. And, uh, they've just been, they've just been by my side the last four or five years now. And, uh, that's been, yeah, I, I can't even speak to how much that's helped me. That's awesome. Let's go back to your beginnings as a runner. You grew up in New England, which I love cause I'm also from New England. When did running first come into your life? Oh, that's tough. I mean, so I'm the youngest of four kids and um, always looked up to my three older siblings. So if, you know, watch them play soccer growing up and basketball and swimming, and eventually they all ran in junior high and high school. So like anything they were doing, I like wanted to be a part of and try. So I grew up watching them run track races and road races and was like, oh, as soon as I can, I'm going to do that. Um, So I think I really started, I guess, running in junior high. That was the first time that a organized track team was available to me. So kind of started there, but then was still mainly in love with soccer at that point. Um, In high school, my freshman year, I played soccer, but had kind of a negative experience on the team and just (laughs) was kind of not loving it anymore, which was sad. So I actually swam my winter season freshman year, but there was a girl on the team that knew I'd been a decent runner in junior high and told the coach that they should recruit me to run an indoor track relay. So even though I was swimming, I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds fun. I'll try that. So there's this one meet in high school where there was an indoor track meet and a swim meet going on at the UNH building, which in the same building. So I'd like swim an event and then quickly change into running clothes, go like run an event um, in the track meet and then change back in my bathing suit, swim an event. And I was like, okay, this is kind of crazy. Like I don't even like swimming that much. I think I'll just, you know, like the track team had such like a happy vibe to it. And we're so fun that I was like really attracted. I was really attracted to the team. So I kind of quit all the other sports. Well, I didn't quit. I finished the swim season out. And then starting outdoor track season freshman year, I decided to focus on running year round and gave up soccer and gave up swimming and just became a year round runner going into sophomore year of high school. When did you know you wanted to continue with it beyond high school? Yeah, definitely not at the beginning of high school. If you had asked me then, I would have said I'd play soccer in college, if anything. Um, I think 
sometime during my junior year of high school, I was like, man, I love this. I love competing. And um, I think there are some college, the recruiting process is so different now, but there is some like letters being mailed to my high school and about recruiting me for running. So I was like, whoa, this is cool. Like I didn't know, you know, coaches would want me, but started kind of reaching out to them through mailing these letters back. And, um, yeah, junior high school is kind of when I realized I wanted to keep going. How'd you end up at Georgetown? Oh, so much gratitude for Chris Miltenberg. Um, he recruited me and, you know, almost every other college I was looking at, I would have been one of the top runners going in already. And, uh, Georgetown was this team that so good, like, just amazing women. What they were doing there was, you know, some of the best in some of the best in the country. And that just excited me so much. I like loved the idea of going somewhere where my personal best times weren't that impressive. And, um, you know, it'd probably take me a while to get to the level that most of these women were running at. So when he reached out to me, I was like super excited and went down and took a visit and, uh, it's kind of funny. I joked with my parents as I, the junior high and high school I went to didn't have a track. And I was like, Oh, I'll look at any school as long as they have a track. (laughs) And Georgetown doesn't have a track, but it was a culture and a team that had something that I just didn't feel anywhere else. The excitement, the passion, the fire that Milt brought and the vision that he had was, uh, was something that was just so, I just, it was so captivating. I was like, man, I would, just love to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, I, again, was probably one of like the, you know, worst people they were recruiting and, um, and it was probably one of my worst financial offers, if not the worst, but it was just something I like, my heart was just so in it. And like that team was just so passionate and fired up and good, but so fun and so supportive and just, yeah, it was, it was one of the best decisions of my life. That's amazing. And what's really interesting to me hearing you describe that, because you talked a little bit about it earlier, is that belief that Coach Milt had in you that you could run there, even though you saw yourself as one of the slower recruits that they had brought in. And then earlier you had mentioned how Mike Smith thought you could run at that level after college, and that gave you the confidence to continue to pursue that. So let's just go down that rabbit hole a little bit. How important is that belief from not only your coaches, but the other people who you know and respect in your life to help give you the confidence that you can continue down this road and accomplish big things? Yeah. Oh man. I I don't think it's everything. I think first and foremost, belief in yourself is probably the most important thing. But then when you have someone like a coach that can see something that you can't necessarily see or that you've never even thought or dreamed up of, and they kind of like ignite that spark, ignite that belief in you. Um, it's, it's so powerful. Like coaches at all levels, high school, college, professional, it's, the roles that they can play in helping people believe in themselves and the ways that they can like help them see themselves. And that, and that extends far beyond just pursuing running. Like I think coaches that help people transition out of the sport when running's no longer become a healthy part of their lives is also such, such beautiful work. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But the roles that coaches can play in helping athletes see something in themselves, whether that's running at a certain level or, pursuing something else is 
it's beautiful. Like coaches are teachers. Coaches are someone that if they can send people back to themselves and back to their true callings and back to things that help them find meaning and purpose, then it's it's a really beautiful, special relationship. And uh, I was really lucky that Milt saw something in me in high school that, you know, he wanted to give me a chance at Georgetown. And um, that's something I'm always grateful for because it's gotten me to where I am today. How instrumental has he been in your development as an athlete since your time at Georgetown? Yeah. Yeah. So to go back a little bit, um, Milt was actually my coach, my first three years of college. So he had me for most of my college career. Um, and you know, he was really instrumental in my transformation from high school into college running. And, um, yeah, gosh, the way, uh, just having a coach who like saw day-to-day training and a team to work with was, uh, was huge. Cause I didn't really have that structure or routine in high school. Um, so I feel bad. I think Milt got me at a time where I was, um, like I so into the training, like I would do anything and everything that, uh, you know, he set up practice, but I didn't understand a lot of the other elements that came with running at that level. Um, it's terrible. I was like, I was so naive and ignorant going into college. Um, I remember <laughs> like a week into college, they had like a club fair and, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a high school background where, um, you know, I had, had an awesome coach who was excited and brought a lot of positive energy, but he had 60 athletes for one coach. And, and this coach was also working a lot on, on his real job. So, um, he wasn't always around and, um, I just kind of came from like having no real accountability in high school. And, you know, if we ever traveled to like the new England championship meet, like we'd roll in the night before pitch a tent, you know, cook like SpaghettiOs over the campfire and then race the next morning. So like, I just didn't really understand all the aspects of the lifestyle that came with running at a high level. So, um, even though I had some early success in college under milk, just like with, you know, actually having structured training and a team, um, I was really immature in the ways of how other elements could play into running. And, um, so that, I think that was really tough. So then I think right around when Milt left, which was going into my senior year, I kind of like had this better awareness of how like emotional energy and how lifestyle factors and, you know, nutrition and all these things that I was like pretty ignorant and arrogant about, um, could play this huge role in performance. So I remember going into senior year, I was like so excited. So I was like ready to take this running, like all aspects of running into this new level and really work on these things with Milt that like I hadn't been able to uh, fully understand beforehand. And he left and I was so bummed. So I was like, oh, like Milt is, you know, amazing coach. He's doing wonderful things at Stanford. And, uh, for like a two week period, we didn't know who the new coach would be. So that was like, you know, terrifying because you have this coach that, you know, everyone on the team loved and was excited about. And, uh, Mike Smith came in then, and that was, you know, probably also a change that was really great for me at the time because, um, I was ready to, ready to like be more all in with my running and, and Mike was just really pivotal and helping, you know, listening to kind of the ways that I was ready to grow. And he saw that like, you know, ready to build up on strength and mechanics. And 
he helped transform me a lot from uh, kind of this like in between in between runner or like average kind of like half committed and then uh, getting me to like understand what full commitment really is. And how have you continued to grow post-collegiately under his guidance? Oh, a lot. I'm still growing and learning a lot every year, every season. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think a big part of, a big part of it is just self-development, right? Like kind of every, every runner is so unique and individual and Mike's really good at like seeing that and seeing, you know, what works for one person might not work for someone else. So I think, you know, kind of finding the balance of, you know, what it means to be like all in and dedicated and committed to being the best runner it can be, but also, you know, having other things in my life that enhance and support that because I'm, I'm just not someone who's very good at being one dimensional. And Mike's been really good at seeing that. Like I run best when I'm happy and, you know, things outside of running bring me happiness and can support that. So kind of finding that balance and, you know, all the little things that add up to the big things. Yeah. I think that's an important lesson for any runner to take away. Even if you're not a professional athlete, I see it with a lot of the age groupers that I coach, they become, as you said, very one dimensional in their thinking and they let running or their accomplishments as a runner define who they are as a person, or at least that's a narrative that they, that they tell themselves. And oftentimes it's being able to step outside of that and realizing you've got other great things in your life that need to support your running and your running needs to support those things, uh, in order for you to be kind of a more well-rounded person, but it's also going to help make you a more effective athlete. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really believe in that. A few more questions before we wrap up here. Who are your heroes in life and who have you looked up to throughout your progression, not only as an athlete, but as a person? Ooh, so many people. I've been really lucky to be blessed with so many wonderful relationships in my life. Um, I think going way back, my three siblings, Brian, Kathy, and Kevin were uh, the first role models and first people I really looked up to. And they've just had huge impacts on the, my development as a person and my development as a runner. Um, so yeah, my, my siblings super close to them and really, really, really value those relationships. Um, my college roommate, Emily Jones is someone who's had a huge impact on my running. She, um, she's just a wonderful person all around. We, uh, yeah, she was, she was, gosh, one of the best teammates, but one of my, is one of my best friends and the ways that she's helped shape me as a person, um, and the ways that she saw, you know, me as a runner were just hugely impactful, um, in getting me to where I am today. And, you know, the people I'm surrounded by right now, I mean, Mike has been huge in so many aspects of my life and, the running communities in Flagstaff and the communities outside of running in Flagstaff have been really, really pivotal in the person I am today. But um, I think people in the sport that I'm currently like really looking up to are, uh, you know, people that aren't super one dimensional. Like I look at Sarah Hall and Steph Bruce and Kellen Taylor, and, and these are some of America's best runners 
But then they're also moms and, you know, Kellen's a firefighter and Steph is running a company and Sarah's a mom of four and doing all these wonderful things outside the sport. And I look at them and I, I see so much more than just runners. And I'm just really, um, really impressed and really impacted about the ways that they play in the role in the sport of running, but way beyond it as well. And they're all in your backyard setting that they example are. right in front of you. They are. I'm so lucky. Yep. What has been the most challenging situation that you've ever had to deal with in your running career to this point? Hmm. Most challenging, you know, um, injuries are always, always really tough. Any runner who's doing it at this level, like it's, not fun to have to be sidelined and it's not fun when you want to be outside and running with your friends and having those conversations that, you know, you can only have on runs. And, um, so then to have to be inside and cross training is, is just so tough. Um, and I've, I've had quite a bit of that, um, in my career, but, you know, I think maybe the hardest thing is just really like doing the real work on, on the mind and the body at the same time and being really like dedicated to that and dedicated to doing some of the hard work on, um, what it takes to be at this level and, and also just being authentic in it and making sure that like you're doing it for the right reasons, taking ownership on it. And, um, that's something I always try to have awareness about. And, um, when people ask me, you know, how long do I think I'll do this? And, it's never like a date. It's always more so of like, I'm going to, I'm going to run for as long as I feel called to it. And I find purpose in it. And as long as I feel like I'm doing it for the right reasons. And, and those are for me, not, not to prove anything to anyone else and not for outside validation. And do you think that will extend beyond your competitive career when you're no longer racing at this level? Yeah, definitely. I always see running being a big part of my life in some form. Um, I do. I really do love it. And I love so many different aspects of what it is. But I I see myself absolutely getting excited about an evolving relationship with running throughout my life. You hopefully still have a lot of your competitive career left to go, but at this point of it, are you thinking beyond it and what you would want to do once you are no longer a professional athlete? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Lots of things in life excite me. Um, I definitely think I still have a while at the competitive level and can see myself loving that for a long time, but there, yeah, there's a lot in life that excites me beyond running and, um, definitely thinking about it. Mm -hmm. What are some of those things? You know, I'm super fascinated about the mind body connection. Mm -hmm. And I think I would really enjoy going back to school for clinical psychology and finding a way to eventually help people, um, help people, have more awareness and mindfulness and authenticity in their life. And if I can help people feel more deeply connected to themselves and to others and to this planet and to find purpose and meaning in their lives, then um, that's, that's the type of work that gets me really excited. And I don't know exactly what form or shape that'll take yet, but I'm hoping to explore that down the road. I love it. Last question. You touched on one aspect of it 
earlier talking about what's exciting in American women's distance running right now, but what else is exciting to you maybe in running or just in general at the moment? Oof, you know, there's so much, yeah, that's tough too. It's so much in running excites me. I mean, I, I get excited hearing about the stories of, you know, people running, you know, maybe a four hour marathon, but like it was just, you know, a huge thing, a huge personal accomplishment for them. I think there's amazing, amazing stories in this sport at all level. So definitely get excited about what's happening at the elite level, but I love hearing about what's happening at the college level and, um, the recreational level. And, you know, my brother's, um, a big running, running fan and running nerd. And, um, he works full time, but I love hearing about his excitement for what he's doing and his personal goals. So, um, I just, I get excited about people getting excited about it. I love hearing that from someone of your stature because I've seen having been at different levels of the sport and having various levels of involvement in it, that there can be this almost like segmentation of, oh, the pros do this and age groupers do that and high schoolers do this and collegiates do that. It's like there are way more similarities and much more overlap amongst runners than there are differences. And that's one of the major goals of this podcast is showing that it's like a lot of the same, you know, you, you are competing at a higher level than most people, but a lot of the things that you are thinking about struggling with, perhaps working through are similar to what the average runner is. And I, I think that's amazing to hear you know, that you recognize that and that it excites you to, to see other runners who maybe aren't at your level still chasing big goals of their own. So kudos to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like you're saying, like we're, we're all people, we're all so similar in so many ways. And, and it's just, it's really beautiful to watch people push themselves no matter what their goal is and no matter what that level is at. So I think, uh, the more that, you know, we can all connect over that and bond over that. It's exciting. Rachel, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, we did it. Another episode in the books. Really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening in and being a part of this journey with me. If you'd like to show your support for the Morning Shakeout podcast, there are a number of ways that you can do it. The easiest and most effective is simply word of mouth. Tell your friends about it when you're out on your morning run or maybe when you're walking to coffee, out to dinner, wherever it happens to be, and encourage them to subscribe. You can also go on social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, post a link to your favorite episode and encourage your friends and followers to tune in. You can also just go to the podcast app on your phone, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whatever platform it is that you're listening to this on, and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a few minutes, but helps new listeners to discover the show. Finally, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. There are a couple perks there for Patreon supporters, including a new weekly podcast with myself and Billy Yang. It's 30 minutes, just two friends catching up with one another geeking out over what happened in running over the weekend and super casual, but super fun. think if you enjoy my work and you're a fan of Billy's work, if you're not, check it out. You'll really get a lot out of that. However you do it, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much to everyone who supported the show in one form or another. Before we wrap up, I'd also like to thank my man, John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He takes care of all my audio needs for this show, including the music, which he made himself. And he's a big part of my small team here at the Morning Shakeout. Last thing, 
If you're digging the podcast, you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout. You can get to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you're going to enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and you've been listening to The Morning Shakeout Podcast. Mm-hmm.